Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. There's a question I get asked a lot, and that is, Daphna, what's the best and first step to managing PCOS? What should I do first? What is the one thing that I absolutely must do in order to start seeing improvements, feel better, and really make progress with this condition? And the answer is really clear in my mind. It's to find out what's driving your symptoms right now, getting to the bottom of your symptoms and addressing those hormonal issues from the source is truly life-changing and it's the shortest and least bumpy road to healing. And so this is something that I teach many women how to do initially when they start working with me. This is the first thing that we do because this is the one thing that can really produce life-changing results for you. And you will be able, once you do that, once you do address the driver behind your symptoms and start understanding your body better, now you're going to start finally feeling like you're working with your body as opposed to constantly fighting it with really nothing to show for it, right? If you're someone who's been on many diets over the years, if you've cycled through the same plans, the keto, the paleos, all of those, you know, at the end of the day, you're not going to be able to sustain it. You're not going to be able to stick with it. And it's going to be really hard to see results when you're only doing something for a few weeks or a few months at a time. BCOS is a lifelong condition. you got to find something that's sustainable. And also, these plans are generally a Band-Aid, right? There's something that may work temporarily. And I have many clients who've done Whole30 or, you know, other elimination diets like that. And they say, well, it worked, but I couldn't keep it up. Or it worked, but I knew that I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be so strict with my eating for the rest of my life. I don't want to be, you know, so limited when I go out or when I'm with friends. I want to feel normal. And you can 100% feel normal. And when I say normal, I mean around food where you don't have so many limitations and restrictions and still manage your PCOS. So it's not like one or the other. You can have both. And so today's episode is especially for women who have been on diets for years, who've tried those solutions, and maybe you feel like you were somewhat random with where you were in the past as far as diets. There wasn't really a rhyme or reason for it, and there certainly wasn't an understanding of why you're doing it. So I want you to think about times that you went on paleo or keto or Whole30 and you didn't quite understand, well, why can't I eat beans? Or is it true that this is so harmful for my body? No, it's not. I'm going to tell you right now, there's nothing. There's no one single food that's so terrible for you that you absolutely need to eliminate it. Everything can exist in your diet in a certain way, in certain amounts, in certain frequencies, right? So I'm not saying you can eat whatever you want every single day and be fine. That's usually not the case. But you do need to understand how your body works so that you can understand the why behind what you're doing, okay? When you don't know why you're doing something or you're just following a list of allowed and unallowed foods, it's really hard to stick with it. It's not going to move the needle for you, right? So if that's been your experience, you're likely more than ready for a PCOS-specific approach that does fix the issue from the source. And so today's episode is for you. I'm going to help you figure out what's driving your symptoms right now and how to stop kind of trying to work on your issues, your health issues with PCOS 
in a superficial way, right? In a way that's very Band-Aid-like, very surface level. We're going deep today. We're getting to the root of it. You're going to understand exactly how to identify what's happening in your body. And we're not going to dive into what to do about it in this episode. This is the reason I created a quiz. And the quiz is going to help you understand once you do identify your PCOS driver, what to do about it. So I recently created this quiz. It's going to help you identify this as well. So we'll go through some of it in today's episode. But if you want the specific answers, the specific situation that you're in evaluated, I want you to go ahead and take the quiz. If you haven't already checked it out, it's daphnachazen.com forward slash quiz. This quiz is going to walk you through some questions to best pinpoint the driver behind your current PCOS symptoms and then give you a step-by-step recommendation, a plan on how to address them naturally, how to address your specific driver. And so it's very detailed, it's very comprehensive, and of course, it's going to be specific to the information that you provide. So that's the best way to identify what's happening with your body. Today in the episode, I'm going to walk you through the three main drivers that I see commonly. And I want you, as you're listening, to think about your current symptoms, your current, you know, signs of PCOS that you're struggling with, as well as lab work and other conditions that you have. So don't worry, I'm going to walk you through all of it. But these are the parameters that I look at when I'm trying to evaluate what is going on with a certain PCOS specific situation. One thing that's really important to understand with PCOS is that it's a syndrome, and that means there are many symptoms that fall under the PCOS umbrella, and it cannot be just characterized by a single symptom or sign. It's often hard to know just by looking at a symptom or hearing about it what's going on. So if you come to me and you tell me I have this 30-pound weight gain in the past two months and I have acne and hair loss, well, I'm not going to necessarily know what's driving your symptom because there's overlap and a certain imbalance in one hormone can show up very differently across people, right? So it doesn't mean that if you have X symptom that we know exactly what's going on just by knowing about it or looking at it. We got to gather more information. We have to understand the other factors that are going on in your life and in your body. And that way we can start really pinpointing the issue. Okay, so I'll give you an example. The manifestation of acne can be due to different hormone issues, okay? So if someone has acne, they may have inflammation, and that may be one of the drivers behind their symptoms. They may have gut issues that are causing this inflammation, and that oftentimes can show up as acne, among other things. On the other hand, someone who has acne can absolutely also have high androgen levels. So they can have high testosterone levels. So they can have either that or inflammation or both. How do we know? We got to dive deeper. Same thing with weight gain. Weight gain is a symptom. We don't know what's behind it just by looking at it, right? So it could be insulin resistance. It could be that someone has high cortisol levels due to stress or adrenal issues. So we can't really tell by looking at someone, what's driving their symptoms, what hormones are imbalanced, we have to really identify which hormones are at play here and then start addressing those specific situations. The other thing is that the symptoms that you're having right now may very well change over time depending on what's happening in your life. And so if you've had PCOS for a while, you may have seen an evolution of your symptoms And so if you have a period or a season of life that's very stressful, you're not sleeping, or maybe you 
have dietary changes due to other factors. Maybe you moved somewhere and you don't have as much access to healthy food, or maybe you're, you know, going to school and staying up late and eating more at night. Whatever it is, whatever situation, whatever's happening in your in your life or phase of life that you're in, it can impact your PCOS symptoms, right? So if you're someone who just had a baby, you may experience different symptoms than you did prior to it. Same thing if you're getting closer to menopause, if you're in perimenopause versus early in your 20s or 30s, that can make a huge impact on your symptoms. So lifestyle factors, of course, movement, nutrition, sleep, stress, those are all going to be things that really shift your symptoms one way or another. And so having a certain set of symptoms upon diagnosis with PCOS, say you were diagnosed when you were a teenager and you had missing periods and acne, well, fast forward 10 or 20 years, that may look very different, right? PCOS may then look a lot different for you. You may now be struggling with infertility or acne or weight gain or hair loss or more related to digestive issues, maybe a thyroid situation. So things can evolve, things can shift. And so we have to keep a pulse on your PCOS drivers at the moment, right now, which means we're focusing on the hormones that are currently causing your symptoms. And of course, it's generally a good idea to take things day by day with PCOS because things can get very overwhelming and stressful. And so looking at the here and now, taking baby steps and figuring out what's going on one day at a time, one meal at a time, this is how it's done. And so I recommend that we think about your current set of symptoms and we start working backwards from there to figure out what's going on. Now, just a quick little side note, I want to mention that this approach is a little bit different than labeling someone as having a certain type of PCOS. You've probably heard of PCOS types. Those really put you in a box. It kind of puts you in one category and it doesn't allow to be open-minded and explore other avenues that may be going on as far as your condition. So thinking about drivers really allows you to more listen to your body, to fine-tune your treatment plan over time. It's more dynamic, and I think it's more effective than locking yourself into a certain PCOS type and getting blindsided sometimes from what's really going on. So one example of this that comes to mind is post-pill PCOS, which is one of the types that you often hear about. And for many women, if they think that they have post-pill PCOS, but it's already been a year or two years since you've come off the pill and you're still not getting regular periods, you still have acne, there's something else going on. It's not about the pill anymore. Yes, the pill have shut down your hormones and there's some adjustment period that happens after you come off the pill when most women, even women without PCOS, wouldn't be getting a period immediately. And so it's not necessarily about the pill when you think about yourself as having post-pill PCOS. PCOS, we're only focusing on that. Whereas we could be moving forward, starting to examine what's going on with your hormones. There is still a hormone imbalance that's happening and needs your attention. And the pill is kind of irrelevant at that point. And so I don't really love using the post pill PCOS type in general. I don't like the other types necessarily, especially, like I said, because there's often overlap. There's a shift in your symptoms that can happen over time. And so we have to be dynamic with it. We can't just be locked into a box and stay there forever. That's not going to serve you. Okay, so how do we start exploring what may be driving your PCOS symptoms? Well, there are four things I want you to consider when you're identifying your driver. The first one is signs. So these are things that anyone can see. 
objective signs, things like acne, hair growth, acanthosis nigricans, which is the darkening of the skin that is associated with insulin resistance, things like skin tags, those are usually visible signs. The other thing is symptoms. These are things only you can feel, and there are plenty of them with PCOS, things that no one else can see or feel or know about unless you told them. So these are very subjective. Things like fatigue, things like cravings, sleep issues, usually those are things that you can only feel. Of course, mood swings, anxiety, brain fog. Okay, so those are known as symptoms. The third piece of information that we absolutely need to use here is blood work, right? Your labs. Have you had blood work done recently? Have you gotten those results? Let's take a look at what it says and what it may mean. We're going to specifically mention a few things within each of the drivers so that you can identify what's happening with you. And then last but certainly not least, we want to look at other conditions. So these are health issues that you may be having in addition to PCOS that may be related or have the same driver as your PCOS symptoms. This can provide additional clues and insights into your medical situation. And we're talking about, you know, conditions that are most commonly associated with PCOS or that women with PCOS are at high risk for. Thyroid conditions, IBS, right, irritable bowel syndrome type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol levels, okay? So these are some of the things that we want to pay attention to. And keeping all four of these factors in mind, we're going to walk through the most common drivers of PCOS and see how they fit in with each other. And I want you, again, as you're listening to this, to think about your own situation, your own signs and symptoms, your blood work, your health conditions in addition to PCOS, so that you can start putting this puzzle together. So I think I mentioned earlier, there are three drivers that we're going to go through. Insulin resistance, inflammation, and high androgen levels. Let's start with insulin resistance because it is the most common one. Up to 90% of women with PCOS struggle with insulin resistance, and that may mean that your blood sugar is normal, but your insulin levels are very high. So one of the misconceptions with insulin resistance is that blood sugar needs to be elevated. That is absolutely not always the case. Oftentimes, this only happens after years that you've had poorly managed insulin resistance. And so knowing if you're insulin resistant now before it happens is very, very important because if we can prevent your blood sugar from getting higher, if we can reduce your risk of developing type 2 diabetes, of course, why wouldn't we do that? This is a a very achievable, very feasible goal for a lot of women with PCOS. And guess what? Insulin resistance responds extremely well to nutrition and lifestyle changes. And those are things that are 100% in your control. And so you can absolutely take a medication to lower insulin resistance, but most women do need to also work on the other parts. And again, that's in your control. That's something that's very doable. It doesn't really require a lot of restriction or deprivation. None of that is true. And you can over time modify your habits to majorly reduce insulin resistance. And you don't have to rely on a medication unless you have to or want to. Okay, so that's just a little side note. I get very passionate about insulin resistance management because I see how doable it is. I see the transformative results that clients are getting inside my programs, specifically with insulin resistance and inflammation. And I always think everyone should be doing this. It is absolutely not hard. If they can do it, if other women have done it before you, you can absolutely do it. There is absolutely nothing special 
I mean, the women in my program are amazing, but they're not special. You can do the same. Okay, so always keep that in mind. You have control. And if you're already struggling with insulin resistance, looking at lifestyle changes is probably the best area for you to focus on right now before it becomes a bigger issue. Okay, so if you're not sure if you have insulin resistance or you just want to confirm, let's talk about some of the signs and symptoms. Definitely weight gain, things like skin tags, things like darkening of the skin around the neck and elbows. That's called acanthosis nigricans. Accumulation of belly fat, okay? Women with insulin resistance are more likely to be apple-shaped than pear-shaped, meaning carrying most of the weight in the midsection. So insulin is a hormone that signals the body to deposit fat. It's a growth hormone. And so when we have high levels of insulin, we are more likely to deposit fat in the abdomen, in the belly area. And that's, of course, associated with higher risk of disease not only of heart disease, but also certain cancers and diabetes. And so being this apple shape where the majority of weight is carried in the torso, right, in the top section of your body versus down in the hips, which would be pear-shaped, is associated with higher risk of many conditions. And we know that even two women who are exactly the same weight can have a different health risk profile just by how they're carrying the weight, okay? And so that's a a pretty telling sign. The symptoms that you may be experiencing with insulin resistance include cravings, definitely fatigue, right? Because insulin is not doing its job of getting sugar into your cells. And so your cells are not getting energy. You're going to feel fatigue. You're going to feel more mood swings as blood sugar is flowing up and down in your bloodstream. You're going to be kind of feeling, you know, the highs and lows, the peaks and valleys of that and have more things like energy crashes, anxiety, constant hunger. So if you're someone who is constantly hungry, especially after you finish a meal and you're thinking, well, why am I hungry? I just ached. That could be a sign of insulin resistance. As well as thirst, excessive peeing, that's also a sign of hyperglycemia, high blood sugar levels. And so if you're constantly thirsty, if you're peeing a lot, that may mean that your blood sugar is already elevated. And then, of course, signs of hypoglycemia, because if insulin is going up and down, there's sometimes too much of it, sometimes not enough of it. You could have these dizzy spells or feeling shaky, feeling sweaty, feeling faint. And those are signs of hypoglycemia. The reason that this happens is that when you eat something and get a surge of insulin after a meal, it can take up too much of the sugar from your bloodstream into the cells. And that causes a drop in blood sugar. And so if you have a hard time keeping your energy stable, keeping your appetite under control, if you experience a lot of dizzy spells or fatigue or mood swings or just brain fog, those could all be signs that something's happening with your blood sugar. As far as medical conditions that are associated, so of course, anything that has to do with blood sugar, so prediabetes or diabetes, type 2 diabetes, but also hypertension, which is high blood pressure, low HDL, which is the good cholesterol, and high triglycerides. And so if you've had labs done and you were told, well, you have high triglycerides or you went to the doctor's office and they said your blood pressure is a little elevated and you have these other signs and symptoms, you may be experiencing insulin resistance. 
The labs that you're going to want to go for are, of course, fasting glucose, fasting insulin levels. Sometimes you do have to ask your doctor to run the fasting insulin. Not all of them do. And then what we do, and you can do this on your own, is use an equation. It's called HOMA, H-O-M-A-I-R for insulin resistance, HOMA-I-R. If you Google that, you're going to be able to find an online calculator where you can plug in your glucose, your fasting glucose and your fasting insulin, and it's going to give you a score that will show the degree of insulin resistance that you may be experiencing. It's very easy to use. Anyone could do it. And I want you to write it down and go look for it later. Definitely plug in those blood work numbers if you have them. The other test that you may want to ask your doctor for is an oral glucose tolerance test. If you've ever been pregnant and you had it done during pregnancy, it's the same test where you drink a sugary solutions. It's absolutely nasty, but you can do it. It's worth it to get it done one time. And then you have to stay there for a couple hours after you drink the sugar solution and they take your blood at, I believe, 30 minute increments to see how your insulin secretion is and how your blood sugar response is to that sugary solution. So that's called an oral glucose tolerance test. You absolutely need to ask your doctor for this. Most of them do not run it, even though it is a known accurate marker for insulin resistance. Okay, other labs include your hemoglobin A1c. I just want to quickly explain the difference between this and your fasting glucose. So your fasting glucose is showing a snapshot in time. It's showing what was your blood sugar level at that exact second that they took your blood. An A1C shows a three-month average. So the hemoglobin A1C is a protein that attaches to glucose and it has a life of three months. And so when we measure your hemoglobin A1C, we can know what was your blood sugar average if it was within the range throughout those three months, again, on average. It's a really great test. It really can show a more longer-term, bigger picture of what's happening with your glycemic control, with your blood sugar control. And then we, of course, want to look at cholesterol and sometimes we want to look at triglycerides. Those are things that are good to get done at least once, if not twice a year, just to see how your lipids are. How are your cholesterol and triglycerides? Because again, if those are high as well, that puts you at a higher risk for something called metabolic syndrome. And so that combination of high blood pressure, high triglycerides, low good HDL, low good cholesterol, that is, and insulin resistance, all of these things together can comprise this higher risk situation called metabolic syndrome. Okay. And so you want to know about it. You want to be educated and consider all of these different factors when you're identifying your PCOS driver. And again, you can absolutely go straight to the quiz and it will give you the result. So you have to do a little less thinking there. You just have to answer a few questions. But I do want you gathering all the information and understanding what the different components mean. Okay, I hope you're still with me because we're about to go into inflammation, which is the second most common, I would say, driver of PCOS symptoms. Signs of inflammation include acne or other skin conditions like eczema, rashes, psoriasis, also gum disease, believe it or not, is associated with inflammation, as well as heavy periods. Now, some of the symptoms that we may not be able to see, but you absolutely can feel, things like joint pain, insomnia again, a very common 
situation with inflammation is feeling wired and tired. That often is a sign of high cortisol levels, which is a stress hormone that can lead to inflammation. And so if you know that you're tired, you want to fall asleep, but you're unable to, you're absolutely not able to wind down at night and you keep tossing and turning, having thoughts, feeling wired, that is oftentimes a sign of inflammation. Brain fog, migraines, food sensitivities, painful periods, severe PMS symptoms, oftentimes high estrogen levels in women with PCOS can promote inflammation. So if you have estrogen dominance, right? So signs and symptoms of estrogen dominance like severe PMS symptoms and painful heavy periods, that could also be a cause of inflammation. As far as other conditions that are associated with inflammation, thyroid conditions for sure, asthma, irritable bowel syndrome, frequent colds, if you're constantly sick. I had a client years ago, her name is Amanda, and she would get sick at least four or five times a year in the summer, in the winter. It really didn't matter. She was highly prone to colds. And it was because her immune system was not strong enough due to inflammation. So inflammation involves your immune system. It weakens your immune system's ability to fight the common cold virus or other viruses because it's constantly busy trying to tame the flame, trying to tame the inflammation in your body. We also know from studies that women with PCOS have low-grade chronic inflammation. This is something that is not woo-woo. It's not, you know, obscure. We absolutely have evidence to support the fact that low-grade chronic inflammation is a marker of PCOS. Women with PCOS do experience these things And so if you're someone who has skin conditions or you have frequent colds, seasonal allergies, IBS, asthma, a lot of digestive problems, celiac disease, those are all things that are related to your immune system and they're related to inflammation. In terms of blood work, there are not a lot of tests that can help identify inflammation, but I'm going to give you a few. CRP, your C-reactive protein, that's a blood test that your doctor can run very easily. And of course, higher levels of C-reactive protein indicate higher levels of inflammation. We want to look at the thyroid and we want to run a comprehensive panel. In my programs, I give the ladies a list of tests to ask their doctor for. So they arrive very organized and with a very comprehensive guide as to what to ask for. But it's not enough to just test for your TSH, your your thyroid stimulating hormone. We also want to look at T3, T4, thyroid antibodies. And so you want a full panel. Another thing that can be tested for is homocysteine and sedimentation rate. So those are some of the things that, you know, if you've never had them done, you may want to ask your doctor for them, especially the C-reactive protein is going to help you identify if there's inflammation. But I just want to say that even if your labs look normal, and this happens often more frequently than I'd like to see, but a lot of times women do get blood work, that's normal. And then their doctor kind of checks off on it and is like, you're good to go. There's nothing wrong with you. Your symptoms and signs are valid. And so if you're not feeling well, but your labs are normal, you really can't give up. You need to look for someone else that can help you. You can reach out to someone that you connect with online or get a recommendation. You can reach out to me, of course. And so you need to get the support, even if your labs are normal, especially if you know that something's wrong. If you're not feeling well, 
I don't really care what your labs say. We got to get to the root of it, right? So your doctor may not be of help. You may experience a little bit of medical gaslighting where they think you're crazy. They look at you funny. They make you feel like you're making it all up. But of course, you're not. And so you need to not give up. You need to stay strong and you need to get the help that you deserve in order to start feeling better. And if you have not checked the seven questions to ask your doctor podcast episode, I want you to go back. I believe it's episode 79. And I gave you a whole list of questions there to ask your doctor so that hopefully you can have a better conversation and get a better outcome with your provider. Now, many times insulin resistance and inflammation occur together. This is probably the number one combination of symptoms and drivers that I see in my practice. This is why I have Reset Your PCOS, my program that helps reverse both of those conditions at the same time. Doors are actually opening really soon. If you want to get on the wait list, you go to DaphnaChazen.com forward slash wait list. I will be announcing it when it opens, but if you're on the wait list, you're going to be able to get in there early and for a discount. And so if you are someone who struggles with insulin resistance and inflammation, you want to understand how to manage it naturally and reverse both of those conditions using nutrition and getting the support and coaching that you need to do that, you absolutely need to get on the waiting list. It's no commitment to get on the waiting list. So just kind of save your spot over there. And when the doors open, you can decide if it's the right fit for you. But that program addresses both because that combination is very, very common. And so it's not one or the other. There's oftentimes overlap. And we, again, want to be dynamic and we want to be tuned into our body in order to know what's really happening. Now, let's move into the third driver, which is high androgen levels. Signs and symptoms of high androgen levels include acne, hair loss, missing periods, hirsutism. So if you have facial hair or if you're growing body hair in different places where normally it wouldn't be, if you're losing hair in a male balding pattern, that's a very telling sign of high androgen levels. Cystic acne, as well as sometimes deepening of the voice, increased muscle mass, oily skin and scalp, very common. And then believe it or not, anxiety and depression are both also associated with high androgen levels. And so there are a few medical conditions, but they're very rare that are associated with high androgen levels. One of them is called congenital adrenal hyperplasia. That's actually a group of rare genetic disorders that can affect the adrenal gland. And so that may lead to overproduction of testosterone. I don't want to get too much into it because, again, it's pretty rare. But I do want you to get evaluated properly with blood work. And so we have to also understand there are two types of androgens. There are ovarian and adrenal androgens. Ovarian androgens, of course, are released from the ovary. And adrenal, those are coming from the adrenal glands that sits on the kidneys. Now, most androgens do come from the ovaries and they are produced oftentimes in response to high insulin levels. So when there's too much insulin in the system, if you're experiencing insulin resistance, over time that insulin is going to start acting on your ovaries, on the theca cell of your ovaries to release testosterone instead of releasing estrogen. So most testosterone is going to come from the ovaries and in addition to that, we also know that 20% of women with PCOS also have high adrenal androgen levels, mostly DHEA. 
DHEA is oftentimes released in response to stress. And so there's different treatment options for testosterone versus DHEA. So not all androgens can be addressed in the same way with DHEA because it comes from the adrenal glands. We do want to focus more on stress relief, relaxation, sleep, meditation, blood sugar control as well. But with testosterone, there are other things that can be done and we can you know, use supplements, we can use additional things as far as nutrition to bring the testosterone down. We also want to, of course, address insulin resistance if we have high testosterone because that's generally going to be the source of it. In terms of blood work, we want to test for your free testosterone. Free testosterone only makes about 1% of your total testosterone, but it's very important to test and measure because it does show how much active testosterone you have, which is what leads to symptoms. And so free T, total T, total testosterone is also, of course, important to measure because it is bound to something called sex hormone binding globulin. And this is a protein that deactivates your testosterone. And so the higher your SHBG, your sex hormone binding globulin is, the lower your androgen levels are going to be and they're going to be less active. So your testosterone is not going to cause as many symptoms if your SHBG is high. So I know it's getting a little technical, so I'm going to keep it short, but I just want you to know that these are all important tests to get and testing for your DHEA testing the testosterone, testing sex hormone binding globulin. These are all important things to identify what's going on in your body. And then you can start doing something about it. Then you have the power, you have the knowledge, you have the information that you need in order to start feeling better and reversing those symptoms. Wow. Can we just take a deep breath? That was a lot of information. I hope you're still with me. I hope you were following along, taking some notes. Here's what I'd like you to do next. If you gathered some relevant info for your own situation in today's episode, that's great. But I know that many of you may be at the point where you're suspecting what's happening. You're not 100% sure about your specific PCOS driver. And so I want you to go ahead, check out the quiz, because again, you'll not only get confirmation as to what's driving your PCOS symptoms, you'll also get specific steps to follow in order to begin addressing these issues naturally using nutrition and supplements. So I give a lot of very concrete, practical information in the quiz results. So go to daphnachazen.com forward slash quiz and take the next step after that and let me know what driver you got. I want you to DM me on Instagram. Let me know what result you got so we can chat about it and I can also answer any questions that you may have. Okay, I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.